Hi, welcome to the Silver Lining. It's uh, GFT's podcast on everything to do with the cloud. My name's Carl Havard. Uh, delighted today to have actually Mike Kennedy from TIBCO with us. Hi, Mike. Oh, hello. Um, I I guess uh, it would be great if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and and, and the role you play at TIBCO, and then we can dive into a few questions, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, Well, Mike Kennedy, Senior Director of Engineering for TIBCO, and um, my role is within our engineering part of the organization. I, I actually am in charge of three different products for TIBCO, and one of them is Data Synapse, which includes our HPC offerings. Okay, that's cool. So, so I'm conscious that um, some of our listeners may not be fully familiar with TIBCO and, and Data Synapse, or probably Data Synapse, we'd say in the UK. Um, I don't know whether you can give us a brief overview of that, just to tell us what it is in a nutshell, if that's possible. Well, sure. Um, TIBCO stands for the Information Bus Company, and TIBCO has been actually been around a long time. It, the first incarnation started in the 1980s, and basically they specialized in creating data buses for financial organizations. And traditionally, the main areas of focus have been integration in analytics and data science in the last decade. And, um, you know, TIBCO tends to specialize in mission critical systems and things that can't break. You know, so that that's one of the reasons I really enjoy working at TIBCO is is that we work on a lot of really critical systems. Um, the bad thing about TIBCO, though, is since we're kind of in the, the background, a lot of people have never heard of us. Okay, so so uh, I love the phrase you said that you work on things that can't break. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. So 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 yeah, I mean, um, one of the things I mean, uh, we've worked to, together on a few things. So Tibco is the organisation. So one of the products that I think we we focused on with you guys is um, the Data Synapse uh, product, which is the high performance compute area. Uh, I don't know if it's worth giving a, a brief background on that and what it entails because there's been a bit of a journey for high performance computers isn't there from the on-premise into the cloud which we can cover later but if you can give us a bit of an overview on what data synapse and high, high, high performance computers for you that'd be great sure well data synapse is almost 20 years old and it was started you know around 2002 the main idea was the ability to utilize underutilized compute resources so in the early days back when banks you know like say if you had a hundred thousand employees you might have a pc sitting on the desk at night doing nothing and so the original idea of data synapse was to be able to join all those pcs together turn that into a virtual supercomputer and that way the bank didn't need to buy more resources they could utilize equipment that they already had i don't know if you guys have ever heard of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence it was a yeah sp- no, i i remember that screensaver i had it yeah. myself so it sets so, it at home it was cool wasn't it yeah and so um basically data synapse was kind of doing the same idea but for banks and to do monte carlo modeling of uh, portfolios and things like that and what's happened over time is the models that banks are running are so critical we basically in that mode where you're using desktop computers that was called scavenging i don't think we have any customers left that are doing scavenging because the 
it is so critical of a resource that they'll tend to purchase dedicated kit. I think when I first took over Data Synapse, there might have been two customers still doing scavenging, but I'm not aware of anyone still doing it. Um, hmm. and, and, I, I, <clears throat> go ahead. No, so I was going to say, uh, yeah, the, the scavenging itself, the, con the concept, I mean, it doesn't sound great, but, 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 the, but the concept in itself, you know, is it, probably um, flawed with many issues around, you know, compute power, accessibility of, of, of computers, getting that data back. But I, I would imagine the security elements of pulling that data back from the scavenging unit back into the, I guess, the mothership. Uh, to take well, that, the, that's actually part of why people would pay for data synapse is it's designed to be super secure and it's also was originally designed to not interfere with someone using that desktop computer. So unlike running a screensaver, um, the data synapse processing would all occur in the background. So like if someone started to use the computer, it was designed to automatically back off and not saturate the computer so that the computer was unusable. Um, at any rate, but yeah, it was... But that was part of what people were paying for, for data synapse. It was for the security and for the low latency and for the horizontal scalability. Those were all things that, you know, made data synapse valuable. Yeah, so so, uh, so the onset of cloud then it's it's like a you could say a match made in heaven really, isn't it? So you're 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 taking that capability and you're now just utilizing the cloud. I would guess it, would that be safe to say that it, it it is a much better way to um to to scale from a computer point of view? Well, I would say you know the fact that you know data synapse was designed to be secure, resilient, and cross-platform have made it really easy to create hybrid HPC environments because for data synapse, the cloud resources really just appear like any resource, you know, and there's not, there's not a lot of special uh, configuration that needs to be done other than, you know, configuring the network so that it's accessible. Um, there have been some challenges with some customers, like what's, we've had more than one customer that operate in all Windows environment and they require that cloud instances be authenticated against their Windows domain. And we found things like that tend to create an awful lot of performance issues. We saw problems where it would take over 15 minutes for a cloud instance to be available. So that, okay. that's the only gotcha is that sometimes um, banks have had to modify their best practices to take advantage of the cloud. Um. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you can see, I, I imagine there will be a few um, um, specific instances where things would work better, but also you know, the change of processes or the, 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 the patching of certain uh, on-premise on uh, software, et cetera, would need to um, be addressed in order to make it work smoothly. So, so with the adoption of, um, data synapse high, high performance compute onto the cloud then what what would you say from a a technical and commercial point of view would be the the type of advantages or benefits that an organization would see well when i i um tipco went through a reorganization about five years ago and then and that's when i took over data synapse and i made a point of visiting a lot of the data synapse customers to really find out what their big challenges were. And 
One of the things we discovered was that their data synapse grid server was such a critical asset that they couldn't afford for it to, to not function correctly. And one thing you should know is under Basel 3, if you fail to report your portfolio risk numbers more than three times in a year, you can have your license paused or suspended. So banks get very, very nervous about anything that, that disrupts these calculations. As a result, there's a tendency to over-provision the environment. And, and another factor that creates over-provisioning is I would say for the kinds of um, simulations that people are running on their grid, probably 70% are batch-oriented where they run once a day and 30% are real-time where perhaps you're supporting a trading desk or you know any kind of real-time decision support. And one of the things in order to make sure that they had enough resources to accommodate all of that, they still tended to over-provision. So I'd say, you know, based on the survey that we did at the time, we found that people generally, their, their grid environments, at least 40% of it was idle most of the time. And so, so oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so that's an interesting point, isn't it? In the case that there's two areas you've highlighted there for over-provisioning, um, which means at that particular time and that particular mindset, they would be paying for the, 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 that full capacity. Is that true? That, that's right. And you're talking about a lot of kit. Like um, at some of our largest banks, they have two to 300,000 CPU cores in their grid, and you can only imagine that's seven or eight figures worth of IT. And and so the dream was, could they, you know, instead of keeping that 40 or 50% in their own data center, could that be dynamically added uh, via the cloud? And so our team within TIBCO is one of the first teams to look at um, pushing workloads on the cloud and you know, creating hybrid environments because there was such a strong business case for it. And then additionally, another thing driving business was, you know, and it's been put off a few times, but the fundamental review of the trading book, um, you know, some people call it Basel 3.5, but in order to not have to maintain a stronger liquidity position, you know, you have to, to run much more detailed models of your portfolio, which results in you know, we estimate a requirement for four to five times the compute that you currently have. So another thing driving adoption of the cloud, let's say if I'm already sitting there at 200,000 cores and I go to my executives and say, by the way, I need to spend millions and millions on a um, new kit, you know, they're, they're going to ask for alternatives. So for a lot of our uh, customers, they really saw the cloud as the only way to accommodate FRTB. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes complete sense. So, so if, if a bank is at the mercy of, um, I guess, the potential of losing their license if, if they're not compliant, <clears> or, 
and and the fact that in order to be in the old way of uh, achieving that you'd have to you know, spend a lot of money on um adding more cores to the system then it, the cloud and, and its elasticity and you only pay for what you use uh, model you know does make it so much easier for for clients so i i'm envisaging that for you as a business then your main focus must be to help migrate all your existing client base over to the cloud is that right yeah, I would say almost 100% of our customers are, you know, looking at utilizing cloud. And I'd say maybe a third of them are already in production on the cloud. Um, and so our team, my team has had to put a lot of effort into understanding all three major cloud providers, you know, whether it was AWS, Azure, or Google. Um, you know, we actually have customers utilizing all three. Oh wow! So, so, so not just actually picking um, the best horse, which is obviously difficult to choose, but actually in a position where they've um, selected—is that all three to work together, or for for three different applications to work on each each cloud? Actually, we for one of our demos that we do, we actually have a grid that spans um, all three in real time and can push workloads to all three in real time. And the way grid server is designed, by default, it will actually make all applications available from all available resources. And then it will push workloads to the least busy areas of the grid. And so um, to answer your question, I mean, your application could be spread across all three clouds all in real time. I mean, that, that's super clever for one thing, but, um, but but also, I mean, how do, how does that manage? How does it know where to to push the workloads through it? Does does Data Synapse have a, a management layer in between, or do you rely upon something else to actually make those decisions? Yeah, that that's one of the um, things that really allows you know gives us unique value is that unlike some of the other clustering technologies, you know, if you were to look at Kubernetes or Spark, they all tend to fall over when you overload the management tier. Um, but Data Synapse does have, you know, there's a client, a management, and the processing tier. The management tier can easily be horizontally scaled. That's what actually allows us to create very, very large clusters. Um, about a year and a half ago, we did a POC with AWS where we actually created a grid with 1.3 million cores. and we ran workloads based on an open source um, bond pricing library called Open Gamma to kind of simulate a real world workload. And the exciting thing is we actually helped AWS improve EC2. Um, when they first tried to stand up the, that large of an environment, it took two hours. And working with the engineers at Amazon eventually they got it down to where you could provision that large of an environment in only 20 minutes. Wow. And so, and that's one of the big challenges we've, I should have mentioned, you know, working with the cloud is oftentimes, you know, provisioning new environments can um, take an awful lot of time. That's another thing we've worked with, with our high performance cloud compute adapter is it will actually try to take into consideration that spent up time for how many instances it, it will um, 
you know, have running at a time and, and how many of the sides to tear down and things like that, because we do try to anticipate some, in some environments it will take a while for things to start up. Mm. Yeah. So, so um, every cloud is slightly different as well. So has it got the intelligence to, um, for that provisioning to automate a, a lot of that? I mean, does it work in different ways of different clouds? Do, do you see, um, not asking you to, to select a, a winning horse here again, but, but do you see benefits of working with different clouds to compare to the others? Um, actually, what's interesting is of the three major providers, a lot of the concepts are similar. I wouldn't say that one is, is better than another. Um, you know, I think that some of the tricky bits are understanding the APIs and the order of operations and things like that. Like we, you know, we've, we've had, had to work with engineers at all three um, cloud providers to when we don't, you know, when we run into a weird situation and, and it had to do more with order of operations in terms of how you're calling things in the API, um, especially when it comes to the deep provisioning, we've had problems where, you know, we try to delete something and it, and it never wants to go away. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that's the problem that we've been trying to solve for the customers. Our high performance cloud compute adapter actually, you know, calls the three different cloud providers APIs for you so that you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And all three of them are quite, quite different. So, I mean, so that, that's good. So from a client perspective, then whatever, whatever hybrid or multi-cloud environment they have, then you have a solution that can, can suit them regardless of their position they're in because of that, that capability by the sounds of it, which is um, a good place to be. You don't have to ask them to change anything or pick a particular cloud themselves because that may have other repercussions for doing so, yeah. I guess. And another thing that a lot of our customers really like is they like the idea of using more than one cloud provider. A lot of the uh, banks we work with are under a mandate to not be, quote, locked to one of the providers, you know, so they like that we have this capability to um, go to more than one. An another dream state kind of thing that isn't quite there today is um, a lot of banks would love to be able to, you know, have, be able to invoke some kind of arbitrage API where they, um, you know, they negotiate a workload with the cloud in real time and get the best price. Yeah. I, I'd say probably AWS is the furthest down that road where they might offer a service like that at some point. Yeah. Uh, but that's still, you know, a future state. Well, kind of but, idea. but obviously one that's definitely worth pursuing because you can imagine, you know, in, in, as well as, um, you know, the application has got a, a, a demand or a load it needs to manage. It can, it can select the, the technical platform very quickly. Um, but then also, if it knows which one's going to be the more cost effective, then it, an even stronger ROI for the business. So not just taking out the cost of the full capacity of on-prem or in a data center and, and using the elasticity of the cloud, but actually picking the best cloud from a cost perspective from that um, from that specific workload, et cetera. I mean, that would be super clever. And you can imagine if that if that was then automated a bit like an eBay auction, <laughs> um, then you know there's, there's there's real benefit to to client commercially and technically on both those aspects. So so I do have a final question for you, um, 
Mike, and and, and that is uh, uh, it, it's around the three top recommendations that you would have uh, for organisations, specifically, you know, specifically those looking at high performance compute. Are there three uh, key recommendations you would ask them to assess if if they haven't branched with HPC on the cloud as yet, or branched out and looked at the data synapse? What would be your three top tips? Well, I would say. Um you know, number one is really understanding your own internal policies for security and what it means to use public compute resources. I would say that has been the number one obstacle for our customers. It's not been the technical feasibility. It's been the, you know, the contractual feasibility and is their organization willing to take on the, the risk? And to be honest, I think all the cloud providers are super, super secure and may actually have better security than most banks. So, but it's just an emotional thing for a lot of people. I'd say the, like a second rule of thumb is really understand the different instance types on different cloud providers. I would say like one of the things that's really fouled up our customers as they try to move onto the cloud is selecting instance types that, that are inappropriate. You know, and, and we actually do have recommendations in our documentation on some of that, but um, that seems to be a point of confusion. And then a third recommendation would just be think about data and where you want to keep it and move it to. You know, um, one of our very large customers had for one of their programs, the initial input data was terabytes and ended up coming back with 20,000 terabytes of results. And if you look at how a lot of the cloud providers charge, they charge you based on transportation of data. And ultimately that customer decided to keep the data of record on the cloud rather than pumping it back and forth all the time because the idea that everything had to come back on-prem made, made it untenable. So, you know, just thinking about where you, where your data lives is is something that tr will trip people up. Uh, that's, that's very good. I mean, I mean those, those three recommendations. I mean, um, none are actually related to technology, which is interesting. It's about uh, <laughs> you know, it's about emotion, about you know, letting go. Maybe uh, it, it's the the mindset of you know where the data should reside. And um, yeah, very very good good top ticks. Well, thanks, Mike. It's been been great to talk to you. Um, uh, hopefully we will uh, talk again soon, but um, I'd just like to thank everyone for, for tuning in and uh, hopefully look out for our next Silver Lining podcast. Thank you.